With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom by simply visiting www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. Welcome back. You're with Greenwash. I'm Jaspreet Voparai here with my co-host Don Nicholson. Hope you're doing well this morning and you're certainly hopefully having a better day than I am weather-wise. I don't know about you, Don, but for me, this has been the coldest February I can remember in New Zealand because I moved from the Northern Hemisphere, so I know cold Februarys. But I could do with some global warming about now. Yeah, well, look, you've just been spoiled over the recent years. I mean, the South Coast isn't, uh, you know, they are close to Antarctica. You can't expect to have it all one way, Jasper. A, so, a summer? Summer? A few weeks, down? Is that too much to ask? Well, we had it till Christmas Day, but it's it's sort of gone, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 yeah. But yeah. staying indoors, I, Don and I were speaking last week also about, you know, he and I managed to get some reading done over summer. And I mentioned Substacks because I seem to be accumulating subscriptions to quite a few of them. One of those that caught my attention over summer was the Substack called Resistance Action Australia. They described themselves as, we are a very small group of freedom-minded patriots resisting the takeover of Australia by neo-Marxist globalist, globalist elites. Yeah, that is, that's someone speaking my language. And today, Don and I are very happy to welcome on one of the small team, Mark Pei. Mark is an Australian technology entrepreneur and political activist, and he's had a long history of resisting, resisting government policy because he began at the age of 13 during the Vietnam War. He's been at the front lines during the COVID era, and now has a special interest in exposing Australian energy-related issues. You might sense a bit of a Yank accent there, but welcome, Mark. We're so happy to have you on. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you both, Jasper and Don. So it was, it was good to come across your Substack uh, earlier this year, or a few weeks back, and uh, some very, I, I would say, you don't faff around your words. You put it out very clearly in unscathing terms about what you think about this nonsense going on right now. Have you always been that forthright? I, I, that's exactly the right place to start because uh, I actually have nothing but contempt for uh, the the leadership and how they attempt to talk to us, infantilize us, and, and treat us uh, as though we are not intelligent. And uh, so I, I also believe in calling things what they are. Mm. Uh, so as an example, uh, you know, we have policies that are coming in here in Australia that are Marxist policies, and we think the people that espouse them should stand up and say proudly, you know, this is a socialist policy, this is a Marxist policy, and now now they want to defend it. So we really um, think it's appropriate to call things what they are. Let's name what they are. Yeah. And so um, really have taken that point of view. Um, we also um, are big believers in the power of ridicule. Uh, and we think that the program they have for us is ridiculous. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it, it is a, a, a really effective way to um, to expose some of that, uh, you know, uh, through humor. And so we try. Right. <laughs> um, You're doing really well there. And yeah. And, and, and I actually agree. The power of ridicule is a, is a powerful, powerful tool. I've um, often been lobbying uh, and you do the nice uh, and, and it is respectful the way we all should interact with people anyway. But sometimes you know that there are uh, people on the other side are just treating you with contempt. 
and um, ridicule is fabulous, but I also think when there gets to be a point when you need to humiliate them. And, uh, you know, I we've got a part on our show called Peak Absurdity of the Week, and uh, we're going to constantly bring up those people that do bring out absurd policies. And in your country, Australia, um, I've watched Sky TV for 20 years probably, and the peak absurdity that comes out loud and clear is around the renewable uh, push and the climate change push and the net zero. And, of course, we had um, your Prime Minister Albanese and, and Chris Bowen saying every Australian was going to have a $275, uh, $275 reduction in their power bill. Um, I'll be intrigued to know when that's going to happen when clearly you have uh, significantly higher energy costs each year. I'm going back 20 years now. Uh, you might want to talk about that, flesh that out, uh, Mark. Yeah, I'm happy to. So before we get there, I would um, mention kind of peak absurdity. So uh, we had John Kerry in the U.S. Senate a couple of months ago, and they asked him, okay, so if it were true that carbon dioxide was going to kill everybody, uh, how much will this cost? And he stated with a straight face, he said, well, we think it's between two and a half and four and a half trillion dollars per year, every year until the year 2050. Okay. Now, when I was growing up, someone making a statement like that, they would submit them for antipsychotic medication. No, this is, uh, that's utterly ridiculous. And if we can't as a society stand up and say, that is a ridiculous statement from a ridiculous person. Yeah. So we, we will continue to be run by clowns. And so that idea of ridicule and clowning and things like this, we think is really powerful. Now, here in Australia, it's a bit different, quite a bit different from New Zealand. You guys have, uh, you know, lots of hydropower. Uh, we are, uh, uh, we were blessed with the lowest power rates in the world, cheapest power in the world, because we have an abundance really of coal and natural gas, all kinds of resources, really. Um, so we have gone from the cheapest power in the world to the most expensive. Now, it, during that, during that process, we have our major politicians from both sides of the aisle saying to us day in and day out that renewables are cheaper. Well, the evidence would seem to be, you know, to, to point you in the opposite direction of that. And so um, it, it, it is embarrassing. Um, now, you had, for example, um, uh, you had the uh, professor emeritus from University of Oxford that points out the reason that renewables cost so much. Yeah? Why is it so expensive to get this otherwise free power from the sun? <laughs> and the answer is that it's incredibly weak power. Yeah? The sun is 93 million miles away. And so to get any kind of power from that via wind or via direct solar is incredibly difficult and expensive. Uh, if you compare that to the power that is, uh, for example, that mankind was able to unlock, unleash uh, in the you know hydrocarbon world, you know, this is that, that is an amazing source of power that I, I think people, you know, forget. Now, you can rock up to the petrol pump. You can put a substance in your vehicle that will that once you unlock the power inside of that, it will power your vehicle, you know, in, in almost unlimited fashion now, as compared to, you know, an electric car. You know, our view on the electric cars is that they peaked in 1905. Uh, and so, and, 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 you know, so they were outcompeted by the internal combustion engine. So if you decided that, oh, we have to change everything because CO2, let's say you came to that conclusion. 
I think we're all people of good faith. If we were really shown evidence to that effect, you know, we would be willing to say, okay, we have to admit it, we have to do something. Yeah. If you decided you had to do something about it, the first thing you'd ask is what would you do? Would you spend two and a half or four and a half trillion dollars per year every year in, until the year 2050? Or would you do what we've always done as a species, which is adaptation? Adaptation. Yeah. Uh, now, HSBC Bank had a head of sustainability who raised his hand and said, look, my team have done all the accounting, all the projecting. We think uh, we think adapting to this is sort of 100 times cheaper. And that's if you took the premise that CO2 was going to somehow change the climate. Um, now, um, you, you know, and so there, there are so many facets of how uh, this hoax all right, we talk about calling something what it is. Yeah. All right, this is a hoax. Yeah. And um, there are so many facets of how they've constructed this hoax. We have to poke holes in those one by one. Now, one of their main claims is that uh, 97% of scientists, you know, agree. Oh, my goodness, 97% of scientists. Well, they actually did a study. Yeah. So that was a study out of University of Queensland. They looked at 11,600, you know, papers and they came to some statistical conclusion. Well, they studied that study and they said, wait a minute, that, that those studies that you're citing don't conclude that at all. They brought this to the attention of the Queensland police. And the Queensland police agreed that, yes, a fraudulent deception had taken place. But the perpetrators had since left the country, so there's nothing to be done about it. So I think those of us in kind of, let's call it the climate truth movement, really need to be attacking the very core premises of this thing, the 97% claim, the renewables are cheaper claim. Because what they do is they set those up as a foundation, and then they step up on that block, and then they step on the next block, and the next, and the next. They build their arguments they build, from they a build false premise. So, yeah. Yeah, and no one ever premise. ever questions the premise, the premise, do they, Don? Right. I mean, if carbon right. dioxide was that bad, we wouldn't be pumping it into greenhouses. Uh, if rising CO2 was that bad, because that's what they tell farmers, you're the ones who are going to be most impacted by climate change. God damn it, do something. Well, it is greening the earth. The latest report by CSIRO, that's uh, the, what is that stand for? That's the Commonwealth Research and yeah, Industrial right. Research Organization. It's the peak scientific body in Australia. That's right. Yeah. So if I get this right, that's a Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization, CSIRO. We have proof that it's actually greening the earth. You're getting more vegetation. That's, that's we might just get we might just get more uh, agricultural output uh, there. Oh, Jasper, that's an inconvenient truth. And um, the other inconvenient truth is that uh, every time they these uh, alarmists talk about this, they talk about carbon pollution. Uh, well, first that conjures up the idea of grey and black and you know horrible sooty sort of atmosphere. Then they um, put up pictures of of. Um, chimney stacks putting out um, water vapour, um, but sort of have them cl cloudy or a little bit cloudy. And uh, of course, we we know they mean the carbon dioxide, which is actually, as yeah. you just said, clear trace gas, a uh, fertiliser of life. So you're having all that in Australia. Um, we're having it all here. We've got the farmers in this country being vilified for um, methane and nitrous oxide emissions. Uh, I think you've battered it down the road a little bit, but we still think we've got to do something. So, you know, the peak ridicule, how can we get to peak ridicule about this stuff? Because um, 
Chris Bowen, your Minister for Energy, isn't going away. We know that uh, low-cost energy and abundant energy is the um, is the basis for a flourishing economy. Um, what is it that's going to be useful to needle them with to turn this back? What can we do? Yeah, look, I, I guess, you know, this is one of the points that we take a lot of time thinking about. And I think anybody in the truth movement takes a lot of time thinking about is how do we how do we, you know, dig us okay. our way out of this? Uh, and I think um, it, it is uh, it is very much one person at a time. Uh, and you, I don't think you try to move people from A to Z. I think you try to move them from A to B. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, once they are open to asking a question, yeah. Well, if renewables are cheaper, then why is your bill up 40% in the last two years? I mean, if they're open to asking themselves the question and then open to receiving the information, right? if you can get people to ask, be willing to ask a question almost every time, the research that they end up doing, the answers they end up getting will lead them to the camp that is the, you know, kind of the, the normies camp where, where those of us in the reality-based community are, are still have our feet planted. So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, of, co of course, in, in, and I've noted in Australia, especially um, the leafy suburbs of Sydney or Melbourne, you know, the where the 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 wealthy end of town is, um, they just buy into this fully. There's hardly any resistance there politically. They uh, the teals got into into power, um, and hopefully not for long. Perhaps that's my bias, um, but they're um, they've they've certainly had a say, and and it's like this hasn't hit them yet. So are you saying it's when it hits the mums and dads um, grafting away, trying to make a living for their family, or it, hit, it hits industry to the point where it just shuts down? Well, we get a reality check then. Yeah, look, I think it, it is really a combination of both things. So it is hitting everyone's pocketbook today. And I don't think people realize the extent to which they pay for, uh, for the renewable you know, belief system today. Now, we are paying it. And we're paying it in the form of inflation, as an example. Yeah, uh, we're you know so we're paying it straight on the power bill. Um, we also have uh, some real logical disconnects. So, for example, we have here in Australia we have uh, plans going ahead uh, to install renewables capacity. So we have a nine thousand hectare, uh, nine thousand hectares of solar panels currently being installed. You drive for you know twenty minutes and you don't get to the end of it. There is no way to connect that to the grid. Yeah. And so the, the transmission lines, the incredible destruction that they would have to do for the transmission lines to get that to the grid. Right. So there are there are things happening on the ground uh, that are absolutely turning people off. So the other example, of course, is of an hour north of Sydney. They have proposed the largest wind farm in the world. Right? Mm -hmm. So this is 215 turbines. Each turbine is the size of the, size of the Eiffel Tower. Sorry, right? So the locals have organized themselves, yeah, and said, no, really, you know, can we have another think about this? And if you look at what the, how the wind power business is faring globally, you know, you've got the East Coast of the U.S., you've got the Danish, you know, main supplier to that business. These these are these are in financial incredible financial strife. And so for us to proceed, you are asking a slightly different question. I think a lot of us that are looking at truth are looking at what are the what is the true situation around the science and the economics what you're asking about is how does that reach society and how does that then change you know who we have in power how we do things um i i guess i can only say we do that by chipping away 
right? Get people up yeah. the educational curve with a couple of really interesting facts. Ask a couple of really simple questions. If renewables are the cheapest thing, then why are our power bills so high? You know, formulating it in some pretty simple ways for, for people to understand. The the very subject of carbon, uh, you know, it, I have to say it's quite worrisome here because you have buy-in by, for example, the largest banks. And I happen to know from my uh, the business that I own, uh, that the banks are making enormous investments in carbon. Okay, so when I what I mean by that is they want to sell you carbon, so that yep. in order to yep. take that flight to go to Brisbane and visit your dying mother, you're going to have to buy a tree in Zimbabwe, and literally yep. that's what they're doing. Yeah. Now that tree in Zimbabwe, I have a few questions. Number one, well, wait, you bought me a tree in Zimbabwe. And but doesn't that tree die someday and the carbon gets released? So what haven't you sold me something fraudulent? Uh, that'd be question number one. Number two is that the providers of those carbon credits, you know, supposed carbon credits are incredibly discredited out in the world right now. No, we hey, we said we were going to buy a forest in Zimbabwe. We never got around to it. We sold you the carbon credits. We got paid. Right. So so, uh, you know, I, I hate to point to a really uh, simple example like that. There's another really interesting one here. Um, now, it's not simple to get people up the curve on how the electric grid works. Yeah? It's not just like a bucket where you can pour more in and there's more in the bucket to yeah. use. It does not operate that way. Okay, And so you have all these incentives, for example. Uh, we have something called the Renewable Energy Target where we must, the, 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 the power companies must purchase a certain amount of renewable energy every year. There's a quota system. So no matter what the price of that, they are forced into, into that, that type of economic activity. Uh, we, for example, so the, the, the powers that be know this and they know that they, wouldn't it be great if we could Good. store some energy? So we have something called Snowy Hydro 2 here. Yep. It's pumped hydro <laughs> storage, yeah? So that started off as a $2 billion project. So the idea is when there's cheap power available, you pump the water up high and then you let it down and it makes energy on the way down when you know when you need the you power. Need that started as a $2 billion project, okay? They got the drilling machine 150 meters in and it got stuck. It's been stuck for a year and a half, okay? <laughs> so successive contractors come in and they say, well, this is the cost, well, this is the cost, this is the cost. The latest estimate is forty-six billion dollars to we store start, some energy. We yeah, started from two than, billion, right? From two billion, right? Yep. So the the official thing is twenty-two, and then you look at what they're saying for the full thing. It's forty-six billion dollars with the machine stuck in the ground. Now it's it it's um it's unfortunately a um, it it you know on the one hand it's really laughable, on the other hand. Uh, you've got such broad buy-in, uh, unfortunately, by both sides of the political spectrum here. So we had this spectacle of, I'll just, uh, this is an anecdote worth repeating of people who haven't maybe followed Australian politics. Uh, we had uh, the prime minister here. He thought he could get some votes from there's some green voters to vote for him and maybe pick up a seat, you know, offshore where this where this uh, they had proposed some natural gas drilling. So he said, oh, we'll cancel the permit. I'm going to install myself as the minister of of the environment. He appointed himself to that portfolio. Right. Made that rule change. 
And then they lost the seats anyway. So that's from the opposition. That's from the conservative party here. So they have bought into something called the safeguard mechanism, which is our carbon tax. Yeah. Uh, they are lining up. Every business is going to have to report how much carbon did they use. They use. And if they use too much, they're going to have to buy credits. Right. So then that's the opposition. <laughs> Crazy. You know? so, so there's a concept there's a concept that uh, called curtailment uh, that you have in your market. Do you want to explain to our listeners what that is? Because it, this will make your oh, blood my. boil. It'll make oh, your blood my. boil. Sure. So if you're a, let's imagine you run a solar farm and um, you're pumping, you know, it's midday. Lots of free electrons getting pushed from your solar panels into the electrical grid, but the grid doesn't need them right then. Right? Yeah. So yeah. instead of saying, well, sorry, we're not buying your product, the grid operator says, we're going to pay you for not sending us that energy. Okay. And I'm sorry, this is a real thing that is happening in the world. Right? The other one that people should be aware of is the coal fire plants. They, they can't power up and down quickly. It takes 24 to 48 right. hours. So when the renewable energy comes into the grid, the grid operator buys it. The fossil energy continues to burn fossil fuel and they bleed off steam. So the supposed renewable is replacing fossil energy, but it is not replacing fossil energy. There are so many economic disincentives, strange incentives, misincentives uh, that it absolutely would make your blood boil. And just a little adjunct to that, um, can you explain um, the um, company Borrell's uh, request for the turning down of their business for a half hour for segments in the middle of the day or something like that? Is that is that real? One of our biggest manufacturing uh, employers here uh, that 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 what we just described as curtailment payments and that battle really between uh the fossil industry and the renewables industry that takes place each at every moment on the grid uh that that causes price spikes really severe price spikes we have the biggest price spikes of any country in the world here in australia because of that dynamic yeah now boral right they need to know what their cost of energy is if it's 20 cents, that's one thing. If it's 45 cents, you know, an hour later, right, their entire business premise may have become unprofitable. So what they have decided is that when these spikes happen, they tell all their workers down tools. Okay. This was reported in the Australian Financial Review. Now, if that is not a crazy way to run your economy, can I just say that uh, there is absolutely no chance that a Chinese manufacturing company, an Indian manufacturing We're company, you know, a Brazilian manufacturing they don't have to put up with that kind of kind of ridiculousness. And um, right. And so so um, it's less reliable. It's more expensive. Right. Uh, and it, it, in fact, doesn't accomplish what people think it does, which is to somehow save the planet. Um, I'll just say quickly, um, we have a big insurance company here. And their recent ad campaign was, you know, about how they're working on global warming until the climate stops changing. Well, right? <laughs> no, come on. This is a lie. The climate of the earth changes. And and just because some billionaires have figured that out and want to make money on it, 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 it is going to always change. Yeah, it will always yeah. change. Yeah. So, I mean, the stupidity these days, you know, it is almost like the intelligent have to keep their mouth shut so that the stupid don't get offended. And our education system is churning these imbeciles out by the dozen. Honestly, some days I look at it 
and I look at I have, I have young children. They are you know both under the age of nine right now, and I wonder seriously what sort of deranged world is this? You uh, yeah. guys also out there, Mark. You had the I, I though you're not a part of it, but we Don and I were following the reckless renewables rally. So there seems to be quite yeah. a pushback among people, especially the rural. As Don said, we don't see that much in the urban areas. They all seem to follow the agenda. But mm. rural Australia is hurting right now, isn't it? Yes, it is. So that actually spawned from the uh, local opposition to the biggest wind farm in the world that they're proposing offshore. It's the organizers of that. And these are people that are across the political spectrum. You know, these mm. are these were primarily labor voters um, yeah. in that in that it's a labor stronghold, that area. Uh, but they said what is being proposed makes absolutely no sense. And nobody would listen to them in Canberra in the you know national you know head head government. And so they said, well, we better get over there. And we better start talking about it. now on, to to our great frustration, uh, neither side of politics really wants to hear about it. OK, and so you have managed in your country to, uh, you know, the Red Army has fled the country um, and uh, l- largely with your uh, with your you know good organizational efforts. Uh, we're at the very beginning of that process here. Uh, we really have no. Uh, uh, we don't have an opposition to this uh, concept here. Um, now, we have, uh, for example, uh, Clive Palmer. So he founded United Australia Party um, and, you know, had very sensible views on energy, sensible views on COVID, things like this. There was yep. a lot of yep. a, a lot of uh, opposition that got, um, uh, uh, let's call it, uh, coalesced, you know, in that initiative. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, however, uh, you know, Clive spent a hundred million dollars on his campaign, and he got one senator. Okay. Now, I would just point that there's a really important difference between uh, Clive and Donald Trump. So, um, Donald Trump does, you know, puts his money and his reputation. He puts his country before those things. Yeah, and so, um, so, so, you know, politically, we have uh, a small handful of senators. Um, members of parliament, uh, uh, really mostly in the Liberal Party, which is our Conservative Party, um, that raised their hands and talked sense. You get Gerard Rennick, you've got, uh, you know, Alex, Antich. Um, Alex, Alex Antich, and a couple of really good, really great, right? But, but it's, um, you know, they stand up, or Ralph Babbitt, the guy for United Australia Party, they stand up, they say the right thing, and then they sit down and, you know, the train keeps going. So that's the level of frustration. So our view is that um, I think COVID taught us that 80% of the people uh, stay with the herd. Yeah. And so we really have no choice but to move the entire herd. And so those people then, once they have, uh, you know, moved a bit to understand what the way this brave new world operates, they will then vote for the people, you know, that reflect their views. But we have no choice but really to move everybody, and you can move them a little bit, and move them a little bit, and move them a little bit. And so that's educational. Yeah. It is also emotional appeals. I think the emotional appeals and the appeals that affect their pocketbook, I think, are particularly effective. Yeah. 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 I think economic so. and, pain. Yeah, economic pain is a great, uh, great leveler. Um, interestingly, just building into that story a little bit, um, you had the voice uh, referenda. It was a clear decision. But even by the following Monday, the activists were out saying, well, who cares? We had a referendum. Democracy is not going to reign. We're going to still push our agenda harder and faster. And it seems that that 
other side is getting traction. If I read the Australian media and people's response accurately, it seems that they haven't given up and they're coming back for round two. So democracy is dead in Australia or democracy, people just can't accept that uh, uh, perhaps there is an alternate view. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess my top level comment is that freedom is not free. Hmm. And uh, what that means is that um, it requires maintenance and constant surveillance and vigilance and action. Yeah. And so, right, we I think for many years we took freedom as being something that's free. No, we have to constantly uh, defend it and talk about it. And so as an example, we had a free, you know, will of the people vote. We had more than 60% of the people say, no, we don't want this thing. And uh, and we need to continue uh, to fight for those freedoms. Now, I think, Jazz, you have done an outstanding uh, job of exposing people to uh, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Yeah, because that's really the very top of the tree of where this um, this organized globalist uh, sort of program, you know, uh, percolates from. And um so uh, can we be free if um, uh, some radicalized bureaucrats in Switzerland, you know, have the ability to dictate to, for example, local council members, you know, how they will, you know, implement, you know, whether it's energy or Aboriginal, yep. or Aboriginal affairs or, you know, uh, you know, surveillance or any of that. And so um, the, it is a, it's an epic struggle. It's mankind against those forces. Uh, we actually also think a lot about the nation state versus the globals because um, the nation state is the organizing principle that lets people say, no, we have these beliefs in common. We live in this place. It's this a place. specific you know, group, specific area, specific set of beliefs, specific, you know, economics, all that stuff. And that's really the thing that um, we think needs um, urgent defending. Now, Donald Trump does that by saying, you know, make America great again. He uses the word America, and he's proud yeah. to use that word. Uh, we have a, a coordinated attack on the idea that Australia is a good place. It's a good nation, has a good history, has good culture, has good, you know, um, uh, you know institutions. And that's, that is, um, it, 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 simultaneously, it's an easy way to get people to understand some of the forces that are arrayed against them is that, hey, is what they're doing good for Australia and Australians? Okay? Yeah. Or is it good for an investor in London, right? Or an investor in New York or a bureaucrat in Geneva or Brussels, right? Yeah. And so there's a very black or white thing there that you can say, well, wait a minute, that's not good for any Australians, right? So we think that 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 um, that kind of political construct will help people. Uh, so no, I don't think democracy is dead. We saw, you know, they they do not have, uh, you know, that referendum was defeated. Now, just to be clear, the referendum, the entire establishment was arrayed against, you know, in in favor of changing our constitution. And I mean, the sports stars, the rock stars, yeah, the banks, the airline, the entire media, Everything. right? You finally, at late in the day, you had the Liberal Party say, oh, well, we're not for it. Uh, they were called racist for that, of course. Um, but people said, no, thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And really what they were saying, no, thank you to uh, once they understood, I think, some of the things that the United Nations was going to uh, propagate on top of the nation there from, through something called UN DRIP. So the Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples, 
Um, there, there was something really curious that I don't think people under, that people started to understand is that when you give Aboriginal persons, you know, these uh, native title rights, it's done on a collective basis. That's not where an Aboriginal family can say, "Oh, I want this piece of land. I'm going to grow a business." No, it's a it's co it's collective. So this yeah. is Marxist. It's communist. Yeah. Now I'll just mention there was a recent. Um, so Santos is the big gas company here. They had a seven and a half billion dollar project up in the Timor Sea. So this is one of the most godforsaken areas on the planet. There's nobody there. Right. And honestly, the climate, the, the, the geographical distances, it's unbelievable. They had a, a gas project proposed that had a pipeline going undersea. And the uh, Environmental Defense Organization run by the labor government said, oh, we want to file a lawsuit. Let's get the local Aboriginal council to file a lawsuit saying, wait a minute. Now, they didn't object on environmental or or economic they objected on spiritual grounds, okay? Yeah. The crocodile spirit under the ocean objected to this pipeline, okay? Now, the good news, however, is that this Aboriginal council presented, you know, maps and evidence. They had map. They had maps that had islands on them that didn't even exist. And so the, the, the judge was completely scathing, threw the whole thing out, put the costs of the thing onto the Aboriginal corporation, big win right for common sense in australia and australians right so yes it's a battle no freedom's not free <laughs> right yeah. and so uh so when you go to the grocery store right and you run into a neighbor right it is up to you to say oh hi did you hear about the such and such right so we really have to uh yeah take that to heart it's up to us um I, i'll make one quick comment about what it's like to be an american yeah because we um from uh, my very first day in school, I stood up and they they made me say, or I was happy to say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with freedom and liberty for all. That's every day that I said that. So down here in Australia, it's in my DNA to understand this. We, we mythologize the people who fought for freedom. Eh? By contrast, yeah, Australians were granted freedom. Okay, they were granted it uh, when they were, you know, uh, transported here. Okay, you were in jail in London. Yeah. Now you're a free man to work here. So they were granted it. They were not. They never had to fight it. Yeah. So we kind of think of three people in three categories. There's um, the Americans, Eastern Europeans, and Middle Easterners who have experienced tyranny or have our freedom in their bones, yeah? In the middle tier is kind of Australians and a lot of others. Now, I will say that Chinese, right? They're very unreliable freedom partners. They've never experienced freedom. Yeah, not the way the West knows it. They went straight from the warlords to, you know, Mao, yeah? yeah? And any freedoms they get, they're super grateful for. They want to keep their heads down. I know that, that those are generalizations, but that's just, you know, some food for thought. That um, really uh, the Yanks and the Eastern Europeans and the and the Middle East, you know, some of the Middle Eastern countries are really good at fighting for it. 
Yeah, look, I feel we're going once over lightly over many things here, and we, we're probably going to have to sort of get to the conclusion pretty soon, but we can't let you go without, uh, well, this hopefully is the first of many interviews we'll do with you, but we can't let you go without talking about the recent video you put out, Lest We Forget, The Battle of Australia, a video essay on the COVID era, and it was released, uh, listeners, on January 27th, so you can find it on this on the um, Resistance Action Australia substack. Um it's fantastic. Uh, I just implore people to to watch it. Um, could you just give your recollections of uh, the last yeah. four years, really, building into that video? Yeah. Um, we had the uh, longest lockdowns in the world here in Australia, and I know that Jacinda had some very serious ones in New Zealand as well. We had the longest ones in the world here. Uh, we also had the harshest ones outside of communist China. Yeah. And to end those, we actually literally had to battle the police in the streets of the, of the country. Yeah. To get back to regular, anything like right. normal life. Yeah. Uh, so what we wanted to do with that video is just put a marker down, kind of a historical marker. You know, they remember the Battle of Verdun. They remember the Battle of Normandy. This was the Battle of Australia, where in order to regain our country, essentially, you know, we had to fight in the streets. And um, there were some really shameful episodes. I'll just cite one of them. So the worst was in Victoria. Um, uh, and they had um, uh, vaccine mandates for the construction workers. Yeah? And in the week or two leading up to the day of the mandate of the injection, you must have the injection or you are now unemployed that day, right? In the week leading up to that, you had four workers jump from their buildings and take their own lives because they did not but you know they they really understood that that injection was not something that they wanted and so that's an absolutely shameful episode now that was also the peak of the battle of australia okay and there's a little clip in the in the video that that shows the police retreating and the longshoremen and the construction workers you know pushing back and getting really our, our country back yeah yeah, and and, that was, and, and, sorry, Jasper. No, it was very poignant. I've watched it uh, more than once, I should admit. And the similarities of what we face, you know, even on both sides of the Tasman, it is it's so clear that all of this came from one point. And as you said, freedom, freedom is not free. But the point is, many of us have gotten used to taking it for granted, haven't we, Don? We've not known anything else. That's absolutely true. Uh, New Zealanders have taken it for granted. Um, we keep repeating that we've been comfortably numb as our line, and uh, we're guilty. We are all guilty of being far too comfortable uh, and trusting of the people around us. And clearly, there's been lots of people that have had the agendas you talk about for a long, long time, Mark, and they found their, they found their moment to really push them home, even though they've been coming at us for a long, lot longer they're real easy. We were an easy touch all of a sudden. And hopefully the resistance as you are putting on people now is is starting to build momentum again and take take ownership back of our, of our future. Um, that's how we, I see we it. Had anyway. a, um, yeah, I'll just give a quick uh, signpost of that. So uh, there's a group here called the Climate Council, and they are responsible for indoctrination uh, according to you know uh, uh, the Green New Scam. Um, they had one of the things they did was they went, for example, they're very proud to say that they went and explained to 400 hairdressers 
uh, how important climate change was and how to talk to their customers. Right? Now, the Climate Council yesterday announced that in the upcoming Queensland election, they could not find any candidates who would be receive the monies from for their teal-like approach. So this is having an effect. Our efforts are having a huge effect. They couldn't find a single candidate to donate to who would have the teal agenda. The teal agenda is conservative, economically conservative, socially, you know, plus green new scam. Yeah. yeah? They couldn't find a single <laughs> candidate to run that would espouse those. And that's because the, the actual thing happening on the ground is people are fed up. They have seen what their power bills do. They've seen the hypocrisy. They are getting the, you know, the scales taken off their eyes. And they understand that, um, uh, you know, for the first time in their lifetimes, really, the government has tipped over from being kind of mostly working in our favor to working against what we what we all need and want. Yeah, yeah they understand so, time's up for the sort of, yeah. Yeah, time's up. <laughs> time's up for this this and yeah it has to be how long can we continue the other thing that has struck me as you said mark you have no opposition we are exactly the same and that's another thing that referendum in australia on the aboriginal voice which your substack an excellent substack i might add for our listeners resistance action australia calls referendum that word says it all we know where <laughs> this comes from but mark where can our listeners find your website the COVID truth website Oh, sure. They can just go to Substack and it's just called Resistance Action Australia. Yeah, uh, so my, you don't have my, a separate website as such? So we also run a site called the Go COVID Medical Network. It's also a Substack. And okay. that's um, the okay. other other uh, one of the key members of our group, Dr. Dr. Jerry Brady. So it's the largest kind of COVID truth site in Australia. It's the first and we think the best. So there's that. We're actually organizing for a much larger presence, but it's going to be mostly via TikTok. Yeah. So <laughs> sort of 30 second, you know, quick hits because yeah. um, that's that's the endorphin uh, fire hose. Yeah. And that's really where we need to get people with this business of, of we, that we're going to logic our way out of this or we're going to reason our way out of this. No, these are people who believe that men can get pregnant. <laughs> you know, I mean, so, right. So it really is very much an emotional thing. We love the TikTok. We actually have, I think, 10% of the population of Australia in our listings of TikTok followers. So that's very much the push for us going forward. But uh, I'll just say last note is that um, I called the my own substack. I called a resistance action Australia because my father was in the Dutch resistance in World War II. Uh, he wrote an anti-Nazi play. Uh, he was imprisoned by the Gestapo. Uh, and so that's the inspiration. Yeah. Fantastic. What a heritage. Fantastic, Mark. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. And thanks for sharing your time with uh, with RCR Greenwash this afternoon. It's my pleasure. I think you guys are doing a great thing. And we really want to try to replicate that out here in Australia. Thank you. Thank you. All, all part to y'all. Bye-bye. Thank you. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom reach new audiences and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.